It, it may be the end of the series. It says nine of nine on the series, but I hope you keep going because it's a great series. So please come up, Pastor. No, Tony, you're right. It is the last one of this series. So nine of nine. So would you open again to Romans chapter 12? And I'll read verses 17 through 21. Remember, last time I was here, um, didn't get through the whole section, so I split it up. So, but we'll read everything that's in these last two weeks. Verse 17: Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Now, Lord... Uh, We have your word before us. We pray that we will uh, be in awe of your word. Uh, Lord, we remember that you once said to a woman, uh, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So, Lord, may we not only hear, but may we be determined as we hear your word and are reminded of what it says again on this issue, that we'll be determined to obey it, to keep it, to guard it in our hearts and in the ways that we live. So we ask for your grace now in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, it might be good just to, to say for anyone who hasn't been here during uh, these nine sermons out of Romans 12, at least the part where it's dealing with how we should live, uh, this all comes out of the grace and mercy of God. This is not how to be saved. This isn't things he's giving us to do so that we get into heaven. This is, these aren't principles to add to your life so that God will accept you um, and let you come into glory. These are ways that um, you want to be living as a regenerate person. I was watching a video recently. A police officer pulled over a, a vehicle with two people in it that was kind of weaving around. A woman was driving. The man was on the passenger side. He pulled it over, and she was immediately angry with him for pulling her over. And he mentioned to her, to her that he could smell alcohol coming out of the car. So he asked for her driver's license, registration, proof of insurance. And all the time she's swearing at him and calling him names that he's just given her a hard time and all this type of thing. He finally gets her out of the car, and uh, she resisted that, too. And so he asked her, where are you coming from? And she said, first told him it's not his business and all that stuff. But then she finally said that she was coming from home. Where are you going? We're going to church, and you're making us late. And she repeated that over and over again. We're late for church. And she'd say, you blankety blank, blank, blank. And so that's a good example of of if we claim to be people of God's grace, that we have received his grace and have believed in Jesus Christ, that we're repenters. Um, 
And then we act like that. It completely destroys what we're trying to say, because people have an innate idea that if you're a Christian, your life ought to be different. So this section here uh, is especially zeroed in on how to treat people who are who are doing evil to you, who have done or who are doing evil to you. Maybe they're persisting in doing evil to you. How does a Christian serve Christ faithfully? When that Christian is being treated as an enemy or to put it in the context here, how might you be a faithful living sacrifice to God, wholly acceptable in his sight? Or how will you uh, show that you have a mind that's being renewed by the spirit? How will you uh, show that you're really a born again Person, will you will you show that you're not conformed to the spirit of this age, but you're being renewed in the spirit of your mind? How do you do that? So what we saw last time was two weeks ago, we said that we should be biblically thoughtful uh, in our responses towards those who are doing us wrong. In other words, we said we are we're to act, not react. Uh, we were to act according to the spirit, not according to the flesh, the flesh. According to Paul, is that remaining bias within every one, every one of us who are Christians? There's still something within us that leans towards sin, that leans toward rebellion, and the Spirit has been given to us to counteract that. So, how do we show that we're being, we're walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh? Be biblically thoughtful in your responses. That was 17b. Also, we saw that we're to make sure that we do everything within the power that God gives us to be at peace with everybody else. We're we're to make sure that we're peacemakers, that we're trying to maintain peace. So just a few questions on that. Uh, you, You can ask this to yourself. If you're to do as much as possible to be at peace with all, uh, ask yourself the question, am I aggravating the situation? I, if, if I'm saying, well, yes, I, I'm doing my part to be at peace, but are you doing things? Are you irritating the person somehow still? Are you reminding you, bringing things up that, that you shouldn't be bringing up to them to, to keep things stirred up in them? Are you truly trying to be a peaceful person? Uh, have you humbled yourself before the other person, if indeed you need to? If you were guilty, have you repented? Have you honestly laid out before them, I was wrong in what I did, what I said, whatever it may be? And I'm sorry, I ask you to forgive me. Have you humbled yourself? Human beings find that very difficult to do, including regenerate human beings. So am I heeding verse 18 truly? Now, you may faithfully do everything that we've seen so far. You may faithfully do verse 18. As much as depends on you, you're trying to be at peace with all people, and you may not get the desired results. In other words, you're doing everything you can do to reconcile or to at least get the person to stop being hostile toward you. And they may keep right on being the same way. And that's frustrating. Uh, We said last time you're not responsible for the other person's behavior, but that may be the reality. It's a common in life where perhaps we we even started it, but we've we've sorry, we've repented, we've pleaded with, with them for forgiveness and they keep right on acting as a principle. And by the way, sometimes the other person's a Christian. And what I've discovered is that people who profess to be Christians, sometimes they don't want to apply this principle in verse 18. They don't want to do that. They want to fight for a while. 
or have it ongoing. Uh, the other person may continue to behave toward you as an enemy. And the temptation at that point may be to become resentful in your own heart and to say, okay, I'm going to get even with you. You've, you have given me much grief, and perhaps let's just say that you have done nothing to deserve this to that person. That's where the frustration can really build up, and you say, okay, then I'm going to give you some of your own. And that's what the flesh does if it's not, if it's not counteracted by looking to the Spirit. So at this point, Paul's got something else to say. Verse 19, and it's to, parap- to paraphrase him, he's saying this. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't mete out punishment yourself. On a personal level, don't avenge yourself. So he says that in verse 19. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Well, that other person's been doing you wrong. Maybe he's still doing you wrong. Maybe he's done some things that are really bad. And you might be saying, well, doesn't God care about justice? Yes, he does. The Lord is certainly concerned about justice. Sometimes, and I haven't detected it, this church seems to me very gospel-oriented, but sometimes Christians have this idea that they're forgiven, God forgave them, and he kind of just had the attitude, uh, hey, you know what, I'm bigger than that. It's okay, I forgive you. But God never compromises his justice. The Bible says in chapter 3 here, in Romans 3, it tells us that God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So when God saved us, he didn't compromise his justice at all. He poured out his wrath upon his son so that he can truly forgive us because it's not like he just let it go. He punished Jesus in our place. So the Lord cares about justice. He doesn't save people by compromising his holiness. The worst nightmare any of us could have is if the God of the universe is not 100% holy and just. Can you imagine living in a world like that? You could never trust his word. If he could go back on it, thank God that he is holy. He is 100% concerned about justice. And so when we say be peaceful with all people, Take the wrong as much as possible. We're not saying "Ah, God doesn't really care about justice. He cares greatly about justice. And we're not to be indifferent about justice. But the Lord forbids you, he forbids me, from exacting punishment on those who have done us wrong. That is on a personal level. The Bible says this about God. He's called the rock in Deuteronomy 32.4. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. And he is always that. Like all the attributes of God. God is all his attributes all the time. He doesn't put them on hold. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to be this for a while. I'm going to be love. I won't be just. I'm going to be, I'm going to be forgiving, but I'm not going to be. He doesn't do that. He's all those things all the time. In fact, he cares about justice so much, the Bible tells us that he has, he has, Set apart a date right now, we don't know, in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Judgment day is coming. He cares about justice. But he's telling us that you and I must not usurp his prerogative of justice. 
uh, it's God's prerogative. Notice what he says there in verse 19. He says, vengeance is mine. It's not yours. It's his. It's his place. Uh, Brother Red was referring this morning about giving, tithing. You know, the Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 3, at least under the law, that people were robbing God. They weren't giving him the tithe. They weren't, uh, they were, or they were giving him things that were second rate, third rate stuff. He says, you're robbing me. That's one way you can rob God. Another way people commonly rob God is that, and this is the most common one I've, I've seen, is that they rob him of his glory. You do something that's good and you make sure everybody knows about it when it's God's glory. The Bible says that whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We, con- we are constantly getting into God's stuff and stealing from him, robbing him of, of his glory. But here's another way, too, that we can rob God, and that's by saying, I'm going to take justice into my own hands. When God says, it's mine, it's my prerogative, it's not yours, you stay away from this, I'll take care of, I'll take care of everything. <clears throat> Someone has said, do not steal God's prerogative. Now, it's true. Sometimes, and the next chapter shows us this, that God does carry out justice through people, through the government. Verse 4, the next chapter, speaking of the civil magistrate, he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. God has ordained that governments mete out justice. So we're not saying that it never takes place. Um, But as individuals, we never have the right to avenge ourselves. That's what the world does all the time. It's in every realm of life. Okay, here comes a baseball illustration again. But back in the old days, when Don Drysdale was pitching for the Dodgers, and he used to say this, he he became a broadcaster after he was done playing uh, baseball, which I think his last year was 69, and uh, 1969. And... uh, He uh, said, my way was this. If your pitcher hits one of our batters, I'm going to hit two of yours. And that was always, he thought that was so macho and so forth. He didn't realize how stupid that sounds to a Christian. It's just taking and getting even. Uh, It's wrong. Um, Also, it used to be. Now, it doesn't happen anymore. Sports are almost intolerable to watch now on television to me, whether it's football baseball, basketball, for example, because everybody hot dogs it all the time. And I mean, you make one tackle and you gyrate and do all these things. And baseball, you get a base hit and you go to first base and you make all kinds of signals and it's weird stuff. But it used to be that if you did something like that, like if you hit a home run, you tried around the bases, if you hot dogged it at all, showed up the picture as a pitcher, as they called it, you could count the next time you were up, you were going to get a baseball in the ribs or higher. Uh, I'm not saying that's right, but that's that's what happened. And it was people taking justice into their own hands. And it's wrong. Uh, one way that it's commonly done today, Christians do it, is, and I've mentioned this a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, is the passive aggressive thing. You say, OK, I, I'm not going to get even with you, but you just make life difficult for them by doing things. Uh, for example, I knew some I know somebody who. Uh, they were there were cutbacks in his position where he worked, and he had done a lot of good things there, and put together manuals 
that helped them carry out their jobs. But when he got when he got laid off and they made excuses for why they were doing it, that probably weren't really true. He made he took all his manuals. He took everything he had done to get even with them. He didn't make it easy. You know, now Christian, this man's professing Christian, what a professing Christian would do is say, you know what? I think I'm being laid off unjustly. But I'm not going to make things difficult for them. I'm going to wish for them the best. I'll leave these manuals I've put together, which have been a real help to the system here, and do that. He was telling everybody else about it. Like, I got them. It's wrong. It's just wrong. So instead, what are we to do? He says there in verse 9, literally, give place to wrath. Or as ESV has it, leave it to the wrath of God. In other words, we make way. We say, God, I'm doing everything I can do to get this person to stop harassing me, doing wrong to me. I'm doing all I can do. They won't stop. Lord, I get out of the way. I just leave it to you. You do what you see is fit. And you always have to remember that that person is God's instrument in your life. Just like the Babylonians were, the Assyrians were. These evil nations, they were God's instruments to chastise his own people. The book of Habakkuk tells you that. Isaiah chapter 10 with the Assyrians. They didn't know they were doing that. They were just being evil. But they were God's instruments. Um, and so God is doing that with you. That's always true. When someone is acting as your enemy, God is working in your life. And you can be grateful for that. That it's not out of control ultimately. So we make way. We give place to wrath. Listen to what Jesus did when he was reviled. He did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's what you have to do. If if nothing is being done about it, someone keeps right on. You just say, Lord, I entrust myself to you because I know you judge justly. You do all things well. Later on, Peter applies that in First Peter four nineteen. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So you keep on doing good. It's very much what Paul is going to say here. See, if you avenge yourself, um, you're not leaving vengeance to God. You're not giving place to wrath. You're demonstrating a lack of faith that he's true, that he's faithful. Uh, You're saying, God, you know, I don't think you're governing your world very well. Um, it's it's, it's, It's as if you're saying you're not doing something about it. I will. It's it's like using the old saying, if it's going to be done, I have to do it. Revenge is evidence of spiritual poverty. And you don't want to make excuses either and say, "Okay, buddy, you're saying all these things right now, but you don't know what I've been through. Well, I know someone who hung on a cross. I don't think you've been through that in your life or you're going through that. Don't make excuses. Don't say you don't understand what I've been through. If you were in my shoes, you'd be you'd be saying what I'm saying. Are you pulling that card? Are you using that card? It's a useless card. It won't won't avail before God. Uh, A word of caution. When it says here, give place to wrath. Paul, he's not giving us license to say, you know, I'm going to give place to wrath. So, Lord, I long for you to crush this person and smash them. Ruin them, God. It's not what it's saying. It's saying it's not my place to, 
to punish him, to get even with him, to give tit for tat. It's, it's not saying that. It's not licensed for us to be bitter in our hearts. We should always be ready to forgive. Always in our hearts we are willing to say, I'll do, but I, I want to be at peace with you. Give place to wrath. That's, that phrase does not legitimize or sanction vengeful, hateful desires. It's never right. doesn't contradict the, the, the so-called imprecatory psalms where you see the psalmist saying, Lord, smash them, break their teeth. You see that sort of thing. Those passages are written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's the view that, that the man of God, he's taking God's side and he's saying, well, it's like what you and I do when we pray, your kingdom come. Do you realize what you're praying when you pray that? You're praying that judgment's going to come, too. Because when his kingdom comes in its fullness, there's going to be a whole lot of people that are going to be sent to hell forever. So you're praying, you're taking God's side. So that, that's not wrong. What this passage is forbidding is to take personal vengeance. That's why Paul can say, Alexander the coppersmith, he did me much wrong. Now, it depends on which manuscript, trans, trans, uh, manuscript tradition you follow, but the King James and the, old, and the New King James say, May the, may the Lord reward him according to his deeds. Or, as the other tradition says, the Lord will reward him according to his deeds. It's not wrong in that sense. But to go around harboring a bitter, if I could do it and get away with it, I would punch him right in the face. It, that It's not in any way uh, giving sanction to that. Note well, God will deal justly. With everyone, God is not slack or remiss. He says here in this passage, I will repay. There's never been a sin committed by any human being in the history of the world that won't be punished. It's either on Christ or it's on the individual. No one gets away with anything. Not one thing. I will repay. So don't avenge yourself, as he says there in verse 19. Besides that, you know, we're not competent as individuals to mete out punishment to somebody else. We don't have enough insight as individuals. Uh, we're not objective. Um, we don't know how to judge in right proportion. That is, punish in right proportion. You know, someone takes your parking spot. He should be shot. He should be burned at the stake and then shot. You know, we're not objective oftentimes. Uh, just turn over to, to Psalm 37. You may be... Psalm 37, you may be one of those people that right now you, you really do have someone who's really on your case and they're treating you as an enemy and they're giving you a lot of difficulty. Well, here's a word for someone who's in that condition. You know, I put a bookmark in my Bible and I'm not using it. I'm fumbling all around trying to find it. Why bother? Look at Psalm 37. Now, you're going to see the word fret several times in this little section I'm going to read. The word fret here is a Hebrew word which has the idea of boiling, of being enraged, of, of having a fire within, wrathfulness. Well, David wrote this psalm, we're told, and he says, fret not because of evildoers. Don't be in a, don't be in a heat. Nor be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Or as you can see in the footnote in your ESV, it says feed on his faithfulness. 
Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Isn't that what we're all so afraid of oftentimes when a conflict's going on? Someone's doing things against us. We're afraid that no one knows I'm really in the right here. You know, this is not two people fighting and doing wrong to each other. I'm not doing it. I remember there was a, a case in the church that we were in for years down in Poland. And we, the elders got together and we brought these two warring parties together one night. It was two men. And um, the other one, who was truly repentant and did not want this, he looked at the other guy and he says, I don't want to fight with you. And, and the other guy wouldn't have it. He kept right up. Uh, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently, wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. That may be the other thing that's tough, too. He's doing something to you, and he seems to be getting away with it. Things are going well for him, and things are going really bad for you. It looks like you're the one who's guilty, but you can't read Providence. You can't read it until after the fact, and then even then you have to be very careful. Um, he says there also in that verse, don't fret over the man who carries out evil, evil devices. He gets away with it. He succeeds in his evil. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It only tends to evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land or literally inherit the earth. Jesus alludes to this psalm in Matthew 5. <clears throat> just two more verses. In just a little while. The wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. You'll get what you're looking for eventually. You may not get it in this life. But God will take care of it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, stop being all stirred up and in a rage about what's happening to you. As the saying goes today, God's got this. One day the universe will be renewed, and Peter tells us it will be the home of righteousness, and it will be your home if you're a Christian. Be patient. You're a Christian. You can afford to be patient. Now, let me just make a side note here, because, I mean, I'm not going to go into this in any detail at all, but I don't want to be misunderstood. If someone's doing something wrong to you, if it's a, if it's a non-Christian, if he's doing something wrong to you, it's not wrong for you to seek help from the civil authorities. If the person across the road from you um, is intoxicated some night, and he's in your driveway, he's breaking windows in your car, it's not wrong for you to call the police. You, 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 don't, you don't say, uh, oh, I want to avenge myself. Have at it, break my windows, you know, come into my house, break things. No, no, that's foolish. God has given us authorities. He's given us the courts. It's not wrong, for example, if, a, if an unbeliever has done damage to your property to sue for redress. I mean, it's more than about you. You've got a family to take care of. It's not, it's not wrong uh, to, to try to get legal help. So we're not saying that. That's not avenging yourself. This is what avenging. Let, let me give an example. Your neighbor across the road, he's got a lot of old trees, and he's been cutting them down because they're rotten. 
and he's been dropping them on your property. And he's leaving them there. And so you go, you call him, and you say, uh, after a year, you say, when, you, when are you going to clean those up? And he just hangs up on you. The next thing you know, you hear the chainsaw. Nope, he drops another one on your land. Okay, not avenging yourself is getting a hold of the proper authorities and say, this is what's happening. That's not avenging yourself. What avenging yourself is this. You burn his house down. So you see the difference? There's a difference. You're trying to protect what's rightfully yours by using the authorities. I think you get the point. Don't avenge yourself. Keep your fist in your pocket, so to speak. So, verse 20. Um, it's kind of a therefore. Uh, it's translated back in Romans 12. Um, again, different manuscript tradition. But it says, but on the contrary... Some manuscripts have the idea of therefore, but it comes to the same thing. This is what you do. Verses 20 and 21. Destroy your enemy. Conquer your enemy. Conquer their evil doing with benevolence. Let me read the verses 20 and 21. To the contrary, to the contrary of taking vengeance personally, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, this illustration, this metaphor of, of, of coals of fire on his head, um, it's a hard one to know what he's really talking about here. But I, I, you, you know this, though. 20A isn't hard to interpret, is it? If you look at 20A again. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Sounds very much like love your enemies. Matthew 5, 44, I think it is. Uh, love your enemy. You know, I have discovered that so many professing Christians are so stubborn about that right there. They won't do it. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me back when I was pastoring they would come to me if someone's doing something wrong to them, and you go this route, they look at you like you're crazy. What do you mean? Be nice to him? It's like they've never heard of it. It's like, where have you been? Where have, you've been in church all these years. You've been hearing the word of God preached. Are you serious? There was one man in particular. I don't know if I already mentioned this. One man in our church, he was always having problems with people at work, and he had all kinds of enemies, and one in particular was really giving, you know, this, this unsafe person, he, he realized he could push his buttons, and he loved doing it. And so he was doing it all the time and aggravating this guy and irritating him. He was always in a heat. And so he would come to me and tell me about it, and I'd say, love him. Be kind to him. Your wife's a good cook. Take him a loaf of, of homemade bread. Be nice to him. He wouldn't do it. He would not do it. He just kept on fighting back. And that's what I've discovered, unfortunately. A lot of Christians, they will not do what God says. And he gives you, obviously, he's not saying, okay, the only two areas where you've got to help is if he's thirsty or if he's hungry. You don't do anything else. No, he's given you an example of what you can do. Do you do that? Is that your heart toward people who are wronging you? Say, you know what? I'm going to love this person. I'm going to love them tangibly. You know, most of the time when you do love people tangibly back, they can't take it. It breaks them down. Not always. Not always. But it often does. 
Okay, so one commentator says, though, but what is intended by this imagery here of the coals on the head? He says it's not clear, either in Proverbs, where he took it from, Proverbs 25, or in Paul here. Well, one thing it doesn't mean is this, and some commentators have done this, and I can't believe that they go this route. They say this is what it means. Okay, you've got a person, he's wronging you. So what you do is you do good to him. You give him, if he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. If he's hungry, you feed him, etc., etc. So what you're doing when you do that, you're making his wrath even hotter because he's sinning against your benevolence. So what you're really doing is you're going to make his hell even worse. Do you have a problem with that? It seems to go against the whole spirit of this passage. The whole passage is that you want peace for this man. You want and with this man. You want things good for him. I don't think that that's what it's saying at all. So what's it saying? Well, we find a few examples in ancient Near Eastern culture where a person would carry a tray of hot coals on their head as an expression of contrition. They were sorry about something. But whatever it means, it's got to match the first part of the verse. So, in other words, as you are kind to him, as you love him, as you do good to him, and he doesn't deserve it at all, he becomes ashamed of how he's treating you. It's very much like what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, where he says, you keep taking the wrong, and they will glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, when God visits that unsaved person with salvation, um, they'll glorify God for how you behaved as a Christian when, when they were actually doing wrong to you. So, verse 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, that, you know what's ironic? That word overcome is a war word. It's a word which can be translated victory or, or conquer. And he's saying that's how you conquer your enemy. You overcome his evil with benevolence, rather by being uh, overcome yourself. In other words, folks, he's saying this is a battle. What I'm saying this morning, I'm not pretending it's easy. It does become easier as you practice it. That's how God has made us. As he gives us grace to do this, we find that it becomes more even something that we desire to do when someone's wronging us. But it's a battle, and don't pretend it isn't. Don't imagine that it isn't. It is hard to love someone who's being rotten to you. Albert Barnes said this on this particular passage. He said, do not allow your temper to be excited. In other words, when someone's wronging you. Do not allow your Christian principles to be abandoned. Do not allow your mild, amiable, kind and benevolent temper to be ruffled by any opposition or injury which you may experience. Maintain your Christian principles amidst all opposition. And then listen to this. And thus show the power of the gospel. Isn't that the problem? People say, there's nothing in it. He's just like I am. There's no power in the gospel. This thing he, but when you do that, you say, you know, there's something really, there's got to be something about this. That this person is, is loving me this way and treating me this way in return. This thing that he professes to believe, this Jesus Christ, has got to be something. There's got to be a change in this person that makes him do this. So, thus show the power of the gospel. They are overcome by evil, who allow their temper to be excited, who become enraged and revengeful, and who engage in contention with those who injure him. 
In other words, do not say, ever say, all right, no more, Mr. Nice Guy. Again, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Are you doing that? Is that becoming the pattern of your life? You're just entrusting your soul to a faithful creator? I mean, even today, if you're in this situation, are you asking God for grace to do this? Are you enjoying the blessing and the peace that comes from loving your enemies? There's great joy and peace that comes from doing that. There is none that comes. It's the other way. There's no satisfaction. People think they're going to be satisfied if they get even. Oh, just to flatten his nose, you know? No, because if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is going to deal with you. And you're going to have to go through a hard repentance. When are you conquered by evil, by another person's evil in this context? You're conquered by evil when you retaliate. That's when you've been conquered. And he says, don't be conquered, don't be overcome. Overcome evil with good. And it's going to require, oftentimes, a long perseverance. So... Let me sum it up as we close before we go to the Lord's table. What I'm talking about this morning, again, is it's your reasonable service. It is the way that you show that you are not conformed to, the, to this age. You do things. You march to the, to the beat of a different drummer, to Jesus Christ. This is saying I have a mind that's being renewed and I'm showing it by the way I live. I'm doing it so that Christ might be honored and glorified through my life. So, brethren, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. May we be committed to living as people of Christ. Uh, May we follow his example. We thank you, Lord, that despite our many failures in this area, you have forgiven us. And as we partake of the communion table, we come as sinners. We come as those knowing that we're not personally deserving, but we come knowing that your grace in Jesus Christ has forgiven us. And so we partake of the table as grateful, repentant sinners. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.